everyone, and welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Larry Socker, Global Managing Director for Infrastructure Services Growth and Strategy at Accenture. Larry, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. Happy to be here and excited for the discussion. Great. So, this uh, is part of the new series that we're doing called the Cloud Wars Top 10 Executive Insights, in which a leader from each of the top 10 companies within the Cloud Wars rankings comes on and explains what that company's unique perspectives is, what its strategy is, how it's differentiated, and mostly, I think, what it's finding in its engagements with customers and how things are moving and shifting. So, Larry, you've been at Accenture for a while. You've had a chance to see lots of different things across multiple industries. Give us a little bit of a flavor of right now in the mindsets of your clients. How do they think about cloud? Where are they in the journey? What's their mindset as they're going forward? That's, it's a great question. I, you know, a lot of people are, are looking at cloud as just a, a vehicle for driving innovation, you know, how to change the way that you operate. Um, but something that's often forgotten is you know, you're not going to do cloud for cloud's sake. You really need to do it to drive business transformation. And a, lot, a big part of that business transformation is actually the pivot to, to becoming more digital businesses. So if you actually go back, just if I look at Accenture's own history and how we've been, you know, positioning in the market, you can go back over a decade ago and we, we got very aggressive in the market talking about the need for our clients to really embrace digital to either disrupt and take new markets or avoid being disrupted by the next Uber. So if you look at our tech visions that, you know, Paul Doherty, our CTO has been putting out there for years, um, digital is, you know, in the front of that agenda. And then it's, and that digital transformation has not gone away. So even before we really start to, to get aggressive in cloud, Accenture realized that it was this digital transformation that was ultimately going to transform our clients. So we, we did everything. We, we got out in front of the market, explained the, the need for this digital transformation. Uh, we restructured our business. We created what we called a strategic growth initiative around digital. It consisted of three major parts, our Accenture Interactive Group, which then we ended up started to buy up a bunch of design studios, you know, creative agencies like Fjord and Chaotic Moon and really built a, you know, built a whole practice that we just didn't have with an extension that didn't exist. You know, we bet big on analytics very early and started to build our analytics capability to help drive a lot of the, uh, our clients transformation. And then very importantly, got out very early in mobile and IOT. We acquired like the Symbian embedded software development groups and, and really started to build this, uh, you know, this mobility practice, which is then essentially evolved into our internet of things business so so we even structured our business to enable our clients digital you know agenda you know go few to forward a few years all of a sudden you know cloud becomes very popular and once again Accenture saw this as hey you know how do we get ahead of the market how do we you know make a splash so we came up with our cloud first strategy and the first phase of that was really you know looking at the shift from what I'll say traditional COTS applications to, to software as a service. So if you think about, you know, how did we go from um, Siebel to salesforce.com? You know, it was one of the first big things of the CRM deployments we were doing at the time, you know, remedy to service now. So, so we got out in front and, and our, our, what we call our intelligent platform solutions groups got, you know, started to really drive that pivot. We then started to look at the, you know, the innovation and the power of the hyperscalers and said, okay, what are they doing? You know, how can they be so agile, so innovative? How do they take advantage of cloud? 
and, and how do we bring those technologies or those capabilities and ways of operating to our clients? So this, this is getting into cloud native development, starting to drive paths, and, and, and not just doing it at a technology level, but also looking at, you know, how do you have to operate differently to, to be agile? I mean, if I take a look at it, how do I get to the hyper automation that we're familiar with the hyperscalers um, that allows them to deliver this efficiently? And, and, and there we looked and, uh, you know, we, we obviously had a very strong relationship with Microsoft and our Avanade business group, which was initially a joint venture with them. So we started, you know, with, with, with Azure, started to do quite a bit of development there. You know, over time, we expanded our relationship with AWS. Um, interestingly, the first thing we did was that with them was to, to actually get service level agreements. You know, they, AWS was coming out of a very consumer mindset, you know, very, you know, dealing with more consumer centric applications to be business relevant. They had to, to get those SLAs. We, we then actually established the Amazon, you know, Accenture Amazon business group and, and really started to kind of double down on that relationship. Um, we, 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 at the same time, started looking and say, okay, well, you know, given this journey to new IT to try drive the digital agenda, the majority of it really being cloud as an enabler of, of transforming that business, we, we started to pivot a lot of our offerings to what we then called the journey to cloud umbrella. So, so myself sitting with the kind of the infrastructure teams, start to look at, you know, how, to, how does network enable that journey to cloud? So we pivoted to device to cloud networking, for example. So, so I think it started with digital, we got out aggressive in front of the, you know, in the cloud world, and then started to look and say, how does the, you know, the new way of operating the cloud really impact our business? How do we need to transform taking a page out of how the hyperscalers do things? So, Larry, that, that's fascinating. You know, when you talk about uh, as far back as 10 years ago, Accenture was, you know, the mindset at Accenture was this is where our clients have to get. This is where the future is going to be. How does the mindset that you had at Accenture map to what customers were thinking, right? I mean, were they able to get that immediately and move at a pace that you felt was right? Or sometimes if you had to, you know, push them over some doubts or insecurities they might have had about this major platform change? Um, I, I mean, typically, I, I think for the most part, uh, a lot of our clients are looking at it, they'll see others, they'll see examples like Capital One, and they'll see the power of it. Um, but I do think most of them are, you know, struggle with various aspects of the transformation. And the same was true of digital, for, for that matter. I mean, there's a lot of cultural or, or challenges that they needed to, to overcome to get there. So, so if I think about it, as, as I look at most of our clients looking at how do I adopt cloud, you know, where, it, most of them are somewhat overwhelmed by, by it. Um, they, they really aren't quite sure where to start, for example. So, and in particular, if you look at it, think about Accenture's client base. Accenture has worked you know, with something like 20,000 different client computing projects with about 80% of the Fortune 100. But I think one of the challenges we have with our clients is we, we do focus on the top end of the market, the global 2000, who, who typically are very large, complex, and, and global organizations which means you know, it's a lot harder for them. It, it, you know, it's not that hard for a startup like Uber to, to go and adopt cloud. And you know, it, you know, it's a lot more difficult when you get a life sciences company or a large global bank and, and, and how do they, you know, you know, they can't just wave their wand like, like Cap One did and, and be native in the cloud. They, you know, for, so for many of them, they could have anywhere from 2,000 to 20,000 applications. Um, they need to look at this portfolio of applications, um, determine dispositions, 
essentially come up with a, a strategy for how they can, and, and roadmap for how they're going to start to adopt cloud and, and then migrate and actually execute that. So it, it, it's an, you know, it's a very large task, um, you know, and, and that app disposition is just the first hurdle. You know, they then need to make bets. I mean, you, you know, as they come in, they have to make technology decisions and figure out what partners, you know, don't want to go AWS, don't want to go Azure, don't want to go GCP. You know, am I going to have more of a hybrid PaaS approach, OpenShift, PCF? You know, there's a lot of decisions. You know, if I'm building out a private cloud, is it HPE? Is it Dell? And so there's a lot of technology decisions and bets that they need to make. So even once they understand their application strategy, they've got to make, they've got to pick their horses, take place their bets. Um, probably the hardest part, part, you know, part going beyond that is, you know, it's not just adopting the technologies and making those bets. But to really be successful in the cloud, you got to transform your business. You got to you know change how you operate and how you organize to do this. And and, and perhaps that's you know the, one of the most challenging side of this. So if you're going to start to adopt cloud native technologies like uh, you know digital decoupling and microservices, containers, Kubernetes, um, you know serverless architectures. Um, you really got to have a different organizational model, a different way of attacking it. So we hear a lot about agile and DevOps. And so, you know, if I, if I go to most of our clients right now, they, most of them are some degree into that journey. I think most would argue, Hey, we're, we're, we're getting pretty mature in DevOps, et cetera. But the reality of what we're seeing is they, you know, even in, in that area, they, they, they've only gone halfway. So as we often say, they, you know, they're, they're usually pretty good at, con, you know, at continuous integration, continuous delivery. They've got automated pipelines but they haven't truly put the, the ops into DevOps or the SecOps into DevSecOps. So we're spending a lot of time just helping them with that business and operational transformation. How do they get their operational organizations tightly coupled in the development cycles? And, and that's a massive shift, you know, everything from, from how I organize, how my processes integrate, how, you know, how I, how I get my operations teams, my infrastructure teams embedded in the, 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 the agile delivery of the of code and, and really start to transform the organization. Yeah, so, so they've got some huge you know, issues that they're dealing with and probably even more challenging than that is the skills gap. I mean, if you really take a look at it, you know, the, the entire industry, we just don't have enough skills. People who really understand the new technologies who know how to work in a true DevSecOps model, you know, understand agile de development, you know, how do we take our operators, turn them from eyes on glass into developers, you know, writing the analytic algorithms to get to predictive operations, you know, developing automation scripts, you know, tuning the AI engines. There's huge skill shortages, you know, just getting guys with Amazon skills or, or OpenShift skills. So, so the whole market's looking at that, you know, that skill shortage and, you know, there, I think, you know, a huge struggle for our clients. So, so we see a lot of opportunity out there to help our clients, you know, overcome a lot of these hurdles. Also, as you've been describing, a lot of these companies are becoming software companies. They're becoming technology companies. So it's, it, the, the scale of that talent gap is, can be almost frightening at some points. I, I mean, I think that's accurate. I mean, it's probably the biggest thing holding us back as an industry right now. And it's, you know, quite frankly, it's not just for our clients. I mean, you know, we, you know, we need to spend a lot more time, energy, you know, recruiting, training, you know, retaining skills. I mean, it's a pretty aggressive market out there. As soon as we build, I'll get our, we get our latest AWS certifications. Um, there's a host of other people, you know, targeting our people. So we've got to get much clever in our retention packages and, you know, et cetera. So I think, I think the whole industry is really struggling with this. So, 
you know, at some point we've got to figure out more creative ways to get more out of what we have. And also cross-training, you know, I'm a big believer, you know, the people who've run our IT organizations and operations in the past still have a lot of value. There's a, you know, you know, a lot of the patterns we're seeing, we, we wrap legacy code in microservices, you know, exposed to microservices and then do cloud native front ends. We still need to keep that synergy out there. Guys who really knew, know how to operate this stuff, how to sectionalize and troubleshoot it. And as much as we can get that cross pollination of skills, you know, the, the new developers with cloud native development skills who, who've grown up in the world of agile, you know, embedded with the guys who understand legacy operations, you know, how do I tune databases? How do I pull this all together? Because we really need them work to work hand in hand and cross train each other. You know, I want to make sure all those new developers coming on, like just like Google does with SRE, but are, are trained on the operational elements, understand that when they make, you know, there's a new application pattern, they're spinning up lambdas or they, you know, new containers, um, they understand the network implications for this application to scale. So big believer of, you know, how do you break silos? Because most of our organizations, our clients have traditionally been siloed to get these guys to operate and work together in a much more cohesive fashion and, and learn from each other. And now a quick break to hear from our sponsor. SAP Experience Management is helping businesses connect to their customers and then connect customers back to those businesses. Just listening to your customers is not enough. Businesses need to respond, react, and relate to them as individuals. Each one of them has his or her own likes, dislikes, and preferences. By combining experience data with operational data, SAP can help your business turn customer insights into actions that make their experiences better. SAP Experience Management helps you turn customers into fanatics and products into obsessions. Learn more at sap.com xm. The best on SAP. Now back to the show. What you just mentioned there about silos, I think is, is fascinating because to me, right, Larry, and I wonder from your years of experience in this business, you often hear people say, hey, technology change can be difficult, but what's really difficult is changing human behavior. So it runs up through org structures and reporting lines and who's working with whom, levels of collaboration inside the company, outside the company, at levels we just haven't seen before. So you guys have to be both the uh, sort of technology experts, change agents, a little bit of psychologists and um, anthropologists in some ways, helping these big companies figure out where have you been and where do you need to go? Because all the technology in the world isn't going to help if they don't knock down those silos you're describing. Yeah, I hope the anthropology point isn't a, a, a Neanderthal reference. but. <laughs> It's, I, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head and it's, in, you know, Accenture obviously, re, you know, redoes our branding quite frequently, but, but you kind of struck on an interesting chord. We, a while ago, we used to talk about business integration and it was really the acknowledgement saying that it, this isn't just a technology thing. This is a people process technology and you've really got to get all those elements right. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times it's the people and the cultural side of things that I, I think is is probably most critical. You know, as we look at our organizations, quite frankly, ourselves, we, we, we you know, the biggest thing to get right in this new world is, is really about how do I integrate across my different organizations, my different activities, and really see the big picture. So if we see our clients struggling in this space, I mean, there's three major trends that I think they fail to do. One is, is get a big picture view, making sure that the business the application teams, the, uh, the the cloud and infrastructure platform teams, the um, 
the security you know, organization, um, the operations entities are working together in a cohesive fashion in an integrated way. You know, truly, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, putting the second ops into DevOps, so not having it where I've got a sprint, you know, of an application delivery, and then, you know, I, I go and drop that and find, hey, I don't have enough compute resources or the network's not equipped to do this, or I don't have the, the logging, the instrumentation, the operational procedures, or my operators aren't trained. So, so how do we break those silos and start to get them to work together as an integrated, cohesive team? I mean, we see a lot of other people also, you know, they, they have the vision, they understand the power of cloud, but they have trouble really transforming that onto, you know, how to actually execute on that vision. So it's one thing to put a stake in the ground, hey, here's my end state architecture, whether it's my, you know, it's my hybrid cloud architecture, my PaaS architectures with my SaaS or multi-cloud capabilities around it. And then, you know, here's my operating model, et cetera. Often the hard part is the roadmap to get there. How do I prioritize activities? Where do I start? What's most important? How do I align activities that the infrastructure as code I'm doing in the software defined data center is aligned to the activities from my broader hybrid cloud story to get me to AWS, for example. So it's a getting all that alignment's a big thing. And then very, you know, organizing for success. We, we still see our clients very organized in silos, meaning, you know, just like I described, the set guys aren't integrated into the sprints or the ops guys aren't integrated into the sprints, but the application development teams, the infrastructure guys aren't there. So, so we've got this disjointed. And I think, you know, looking and, at our clients and how they're struggling with that, it's actually helped us step back and say, how do we reorganize ourselves? What is, what's the story and solutions that we bring to our clients to help them deal with those challenges? And it, and, and I believe it's, it's our ability to provide integrated solutions to our clients that are business and application led, you know, cloud and infrastructure enabled. We, no one cares about cloud and infrastructure except for how it serves the application that serves the business, right? So that's all, you know, that's when cloud infrastructure comes in. It needs to be secure from the ground up, you know, powered by intelligent operations and all in an integrated fashion. So, so if you take that mantra and how, you know, we're trying to organize, we're trying to take the different parts of Accenture that deliver those different pieces and bring them together. So back in December, my group, the Intelli what's now called Intelligent Cloud and Infrastructure Services, joined with our application guys doing, doing our cloud native application, you know, our SaaS work with our IP, you know, and Oracle and SAP with our, what we call our intelligent platform services. We, we came together with our intelligent engineering services who do cloud native app modernization, you, you know, and, and, and as well as our emerging technologies to really create integrated stories and solutions to help our clients with this. So, so what we've been looking at is helping them with what called an application-led journey. I mean, it's really gotta be that application portfolio, the evolution and modernization of those applications really should drive our cloud and infrastructure solutions. I shouldn't be looking at public, private, hybrid until I understand my application strategy and business requirements to do that. Um, you know, we, so I work now hand in hand, you know, you know, I own our, our intelligent cloud infrastructure offerings. I work hand in hand with our SaaS, our COTS guys doing SAP for, you know, for their intelligent platform solutions to make sure that they've got public private hybrid cloud solutions that can do, you know, 32, 64 terabyte on a, you know, high, highly engineered Oracle environments, for example. Uh, I work very closely with our cloud native, you know, app and app modernization teams to make sure we have the, the infrastructure provision and manage whether it's serverless computing or, or microservices that, that may span you know, legacy environments as well. Um, you know, working hand in hand with our emerging technologies so that as they go, you know, as we start to see stuff like AI and ML 
and blockchain go from proof of concepts to scale, we've got infrastructure solutions that can come behind and, and enable them. You know, right now, spending a lot of time working with our, our what, what we, we call our industry X practice, the guys who rebranded, guys who drive um, IoT and edge, creating managed edge capabilities that, that support, you know, you know, the, 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 that will support, you know, whether it's connected mine, oil refineries, autonomous vehicles, you know, what's the infrastructure, which, which is a very interesting trend because we talk a lot about cloud, but, but everything's going to invert. I mean, big believer, if you actually look at what's going on in the world right now, you know, Moore's law, even as it stretches, you know, goes from 18 to 24 months, um, we still have price performance computing, you know, com compute doubling every 24 months. The network will always be the long pull. I mean, even with 5G and increased bandwidth and latency, the reality is I can't keep pushing all that data up. My I'm going to overrun the networks because that data is going to proliferate at a faster rate. So, so we see that we're going to have to have more compute and processing at the edge. So, so working with my industry X teams and figuring out, okay, hey, as your clients go from, you know, you know, video analytics and, uh, and autonomous vehicles in the mine, how do we get compute out there in a managed way with, you know, up through the containers with integrated connectivity to support it. So we, we, we work very closely as a team to kind of bring that all together and then have combined operations. One of the big things we've been focused on is how do we do management and optimization across that entire footprint. And I don't like the words application outsourcing, infrastructure outsourcing, because I think it, it's much more about managing and over time optimizing. You know, how do I get the performance and improve service levels, um, particularly when I get environments that are very dynamic and ephemeral. Like if you think about, you know, not just containers, you know, like if I go back, if I had a server on a virtual machine, that could be up for a year, right? Mm -hmm. If I've got containers, you know, I, you know, that, that could be 15 minutes to an hour, throw Kubernetes into the mix, it's much more dynamic and then the extreme is serverless. I now need to manage about a, a much more complex environment and throw digital decoupling and microservice into it. And I, I might have, a you know, my legacy mainframe application wrapped in microservices, uh, OpenShift front end, the Lambda, you know, serverless environment. How do I manage across that? So we've been spending a lot of time working with our application management teams, what we call app services, creating integrated, you know, cloud and infrastructure managed services that would plug in behind that, um, including working with our security teams for managed security so that we can now, you know, manage across that entire footprint. And I mean, the clients really only care about how that application ser serving a business function, but if things start to degrade, you know, is it, do I have a network connectivity problem? Is the cloud, you know, do I have enough containers? You know, am I orchestrating them correctly? So, so we're spending a lot of time then also creating the managed, you know, how do we manage and optimize across that stack? Larry, it's wild as you talk about that, right? Because on the one hand, you know, there's all these issues you talk about from the big picture view, breaking down the silos, get the organization right where it's focused around success and not around tactics, the uh, emerging technology, interconnection, the industry expertise connection, all of this. But the other dimension on the customer side is, right, they don't have three years or five years to get this right. I mean, that the time frames have been compressed yeah. because the market around us is changing so quickly. So um, do you find that your clients, are they, are they getting this notion of there's a lot to do, it's hard, but we got to do this quickly. Are they up to the, the pace of change that's taking place right now? Um, I mean, I, they get the problem and in different parts of the organizations, they have different levels of success. I'll give you a great, you know, 
in the apps guys have understood this for years and have had agile develop, you know, delivery. And while they'll say they're doing DevOps, they, they've done a pretty good job with Dev, right? CICD, they've got their pipelines, they're automating, they've got agile delivery, you know, at least with a part of their portfolio. So I think typically they're more mature in that space. As we start to get into the infrastructure side, I think most, most are lagging. I mean, very few of our clients, a lot of them have virtualized, very few of them are automated and very few are to the level like what we do with a large life sciences company where, where they actually do two week sprints and they keep evolving, you know, ServiceNow automation, vRealize, or, you know, orchestration automation, GXP integration with manual workflows, but have self-service, you know, down for a new environment. Um, and they're doing that in two week sprints with a CICD pipeline. So, so we see less of that kind of down in the, the infrastructure space. So I, I think for the most part, different parts of the organization are at different trajectories. The problem that they have is connecting those dots. So even a place like there, the app sprints weren't aligned with the infrastructure sprints. And I really need to make sure that when I'm doing an app sprint, if that's gonna have infrastructure, let's say in this case, private cloud infrastructure implications, I need to hit that right up front and understand, hey, I need to modify the sprints that are down below. We have been spending a lot of time creating not just that end state vision, but but the real challenge is the roadmap. How do we start to, to create an integrated roadmap that allows me then to prioritize what am I going to build in like my, in that case, my software defined data center, private cloud, I'm going to deliver in an agile fashion, but aligned to the applications and, and pivoting saying, hey, if, if a new application function is going to require additional compute, I need a new t-shirt, I need to basically change my software defined data center. So, so we're spending a lot of time working on the roadmaps to do that. Now, what is interesting is, I mean, with, with as we finally see software-defined infrastructure taking off, for example, we can deliver infrastructure as code. We've seen it at this life sciences company where, you know, we, we ended up, you know, over an 18 month timeframe iterating through in two week sprints and evolving their service catalog to where they could spin up an SAP basis environment in a matter of, you know, 90 minutes with manual workflows. So, you know, we, we've seen some great successes, seen very few people put it all together in an integrated story. In particular, the biggest obstacle, even if they can get the dev and the infrastructure together, for example, the, the operational side of it and the security side is probably the biggest disconnect right now. So, I mean, I'm spending a lot of time working with our clients on, on how do you create a true cloud operating model? How do you organize to deliver that model? And how do you truly put the SEC and the ops into DevSecOps? You know, you know, the example is when that's, you know, when we're doing the next drop of code, we've got operational guys up front saying, hey, do we need additional logging, instrumentation? Do we need to change the processes that, you know, how we're organized? Do we need to train the operators on a new technology? And are there tools changes to NAP dynamics, for example, that, that we need to make in order to, to manage this environment? And, and to me, that's, I think we're starting to make good, pretty good progress on the, the dev side, the agility, we got to bring the ops into the mix and, and the security question, you know, as well. Yeah. Um, Larry, it's just, you know, wild hearing you talk about those number of things, but for companies that can get all that right, the rewards are going to be quite remarkable right? as they get out in front of uh, competitors and keep more in line with the, the digital consumers and the digital lifestyles that billions of people around the world are interested in. So in, in that context where you've mentioned um, Capital One a couple of times, can you tell us a little bit about, their journey or where they are now and how yeah. you help them get there? Yeah, and I just, I, when I reference Capital One, I'm not, what I'd like to kind of explain is, I mean, to me, that's the one that Amazon always put up with, a, you know, a, 
an existing organization who's, who's kind of waved their wand and has gone very cloud native fast. So I think I think they're probably one of the best examples in the industry and good reason they're up on stage at, uh, you know, reinvent every year or every other year to, to tell their story. And But my point being is very few people can actually kind of execute to that. Now, I, 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 what I actually think is probably a more interesting thing to look at is how do you take, you know, how do you take an organization who realizes that it's going to take me too long to actually get, you know, 100% cloud native or as much as possible cloud native? So great example we have was working with a with a global hotel, and th this hotel was growing, you know, growing by acquisition. They're expanding, you know, pretty pretty aggressively, new brands and and quite a, quite to do a lot. Now it turned out their their reservation system was running on an old mainframe environment called TPF. If you're familiar with that, that was what, what they used to build Sabre, the airline reservation systems. And it was done at a time when, you know, IBM's MVS and virtual machine or VM couldn't keep pace. So, so anyway, they've got this, you know, one of the most strategic applications of this, this mainframe reservation system. And, but, but it's obviously waterfall development cycles. It's very hard to maintain and keep it growing, et cetera. It's a very, you know, 20 year old plus old environment. Now, looking and saying, growing it quick, I need to make a lot of updates to my front-end applications, my web app, my mobile app, you know, I can't do it fast enough. Now, looked at, you know, took a look at the application. Could we rewrite it like a cap one, you know, 100% cloud native? It was gonna take three to four years, gonna cost hundreds of millions of dollars. They, they didn't have the time or the luxury to your point. Um, so this is where techniques like digital decoupling get incredibly powerful in microservices. So instead of rewriting the application, um, basically, you know, wrapped it with APIs, the mainframe reservation system with APIs, uh, exposed it as microservices, and then developed a cloud native front end, and that weren't quite ready to go to the world of public, so they actually did it on OpenShift running on a distributed VMware environment, used a, a database cache, CouchDB, and then cached the, the room information. Now, when you actually go against the, um, when, when, when you're you know, on the web application or on the mobile application, you, you're actually navigating properties, you're looking at rates, you're going against this database cache. It's only when you go to transact and reserve the room that the transaction goes back to the mainframe. They're now starting to look and say, okay, hey, this has been working quite well. They're spinning up, you know, you know, up to 15,000 containers to support it. Can we go serverless and start to go you know, Lambda? And I think what's interesting about that is a, a few things. Um, they can now do agile delivery, you know, drop a mobile, you know, a mobile app every four or five days, which is kind of the, about the pace that they're doing it. Um, they're taking advantage of cloud native technologies, but they're still extracting value out of the mainframe and they don't have to upgrade it because I've offloaded a lot of the processing cycles. Over time, they can deprecate the mainframe, eventually re rewrite it, but now they're, they're getting the agility, they're being agile on their most strategic business critical application, um, but at the same time, you know, they're, 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 they're taking value, they're getting, they're extracting value out of that legacy application. There's a couple of interesting points on this. Um, first, we see that trend in other industries. You think about, you know, banking, where I've got retail banking on mainframe applications, open banking, I can use very similar type architecture. You know, you can see it for insurance claims. I don't want to have to go through all the, you know, the regulatory, the local locality stuff. I can do it for insurance claims. Um, telcos around a lot of their, their provisioning systems are mainframe based. So, so we see that pattern show up a lot. So that's one interesting thing is that that's a very replicable pattern to part, you know, to, to, to use digital decoupling microservices and do cloud native front ends to, to do it. The other interesting thing is you go back to the challenge of managing and optimizing across it. It, it now shows and uh, underscores the need 
for having an integrated story for application management and optimization. Because I now have a, a reservation system. Let's say we do AWS front end with Lambda, you've got OpenShift, CouchDB, and the mainframe. If I now want to manage across that, I now need to be able to manage you know, all of those environments. So Lambda's you know, function lists, I've got a, or serverless, and I've got to have my OpenShift you know, Kubernetes environment, and then my legacy mainframe and all the microservices. If there are issues, I've got to be able to sectionalize and troubleshoot. Hey, is this uh, back on the mainframe logic? Is it is it CouchDB? You know, where's is it the networks that connect those servers to each other or to the devices? Is it the devices themselves? Is there code? You know, is it my mobile app? Is that holding something open? You know, cascading into a failure. So it, it it illustrates the need to be able to manage and optimize across that entire stack. So it's a, it's a great example. As, as I look at that, I look at, at at how we in Accenture had to pivot our solutions and get better alignment across our app services who do app management with our cloud and infrastructures and the integrated story. And one of the things we've been doing is not just bringing it all together, but then also, you know, bringing the platforms that that support that together. So we, we've, we've invested heavily, you know, we had our, the Accenture cloud platform, which focused a lot on cloud management, you know, starting in the public world, moving into private, you know, doing a lot of the management, you know, provisioning the orchestration, the blueprinting, you know, the billing optimization, you know, consumer type stuff. We we'd already expanded and integrated our, our infrastructure management tools into our Accenture Cloud Platform and, and are now integrating our app services or app management tools, our my wizard suite, into an integrated set of capabilities to deliver on, you know, how do I manage across that environment? Yeah, Larry, you know, wild stuff going on there. And if I could ask you to shift from sort of how you've put all these different pieces together. Then the other thing that Accenture is doing that requires, uh, you know, quite a bit of skill is where so many of the big companies dealing in the cloud right now are sort of at each other's throats, right? They're arch rivals and competitors. Accenture's found a way to be a primary partner with almost everybody. So what does that do for you in the minds of your clients? How, how do they see you as somebody who can help them get where they need to be more quickly than they could going out there into that jungle by themselves. So Bob, you've, you've, you've touched on the toughest part of my, my job personally, actually. Uh, the reason for that is we, we, we are constantly doing a balancing act. I mean, we come out of a consulting heritage where we're the trust, you know, we want to be the trusted advisor, um, you know, and help our clients make the right decisions. At the same time, what we realize is if we want to be differentiated in the market, we got to make big bets. So we got to, you know, pick our horses, et cetera. Now, it is always a balancing act. At the same time, we do believe, at least for those bigger strategic partners, so we don't, what we don't do in the old, in the old days, we used to do everything, right? And we still do everything, but we, now we're focusing our bets. So like I gave you those obviously bets. Um, in the world of private cloud, we recently, you know, we recently, because we were trying to do high terabyte HANA, we, 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 we recently did some, you know, developed this application optimized private cloud meant for really, large scale business critical high performance workloads. So 32, 64 terabyte HANA, you know, Oracle, Oracle rack and engineered systems. So we did it with HPE and, and, and their SGI acquisition was, you know, made, it, made them a great platform, particularly for high terabyte HANA, you know, and then VMware. So, so we're, we're constantly balancing it. I do think we have a pretty balanced pers perspective. And, and then I, you know, I can even look at our own internal thing. I mean, you know, journey, I mean, we, Accenture ourselves have been, you know, pretty much living in the cloud for a long time. Our, you know, Andrew Wilson, our CIO and member of Arvich, um, 
you know, have, 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 have gone through a fantastic cloud journey and it has been more of a balanced journey. So they, they you know, we, we work very closely with them to look at their technology partners. Yeah, for example, they, they, you know, they have a SaaS first policy, you know, we went to salesforce.com, we went to ServiceNow, you know, Ariba, et cetera. So, you know, they do cloud native development. They, they started off very AWS centric because of their position, but have a balanced Azure environment. Um, as as Microsoft Core caught up, I mean, we do a lot of we do over three sixty five. So, so I think we, we it's always been hard. We balance it, but we do keep the objectivity and try tailor the right cloud to the right client, right? Yeah. Well, Larry, that's great. And could I ask? Uh, you know, you you've hit on all the questions that I had. Is there anything that you want to be sure to add before we wrap up? You've got a pretty good view of. Uh, you know, yeah. where, where we see our clients challenging, how, how we're, you know, not only helping them solve it, but even ourselves reorganizing, you know, bringing our cloud and infrastructure guys closer to the application teams. You know, keep going back to very simple maxim that the, the journey to digital and, and, and to this world has to be business and application led. We see cloud and infrastructure as enablers, right? As, as accelerators, enablers to provide that. You, you know, it's gotta be secure built in and then how do we, you know, embedded intelligent operations. So how do we, how do we learn from the hyperscalers and leverage analytics, automation, and AI? So we're really trying to bring that all together and truly redefine the operating model to, you know, to, you know, to learn a lot from the hyperscalers, but tailor it to our, you know, our client's journey. They, they're not hyperscalers. They have massive portfolios that are complicated. They, they, they've got a lot of sprawl in many cases in the environment. So how do we, how do we adapt that and bring it to something that they can consume? And then very importantly, you know, every industry is different. You know, the priorities of a pharmaceutical and their GXP compliance or a bank and PCI, PII or healthcare and HIPAA, the roadmaps are going to be very varied. So one of the big things, not only are we bringing our, our groups within the different parts of Accenture technology together and, and working with parts of Accenture, but very importantly, teaming with our industries and operating groups to understand what that journey needs to be, how we shape that journey for a life sciences company, for a, a retailer, for a, a, a mind who's trying to go into connected mind and digital. So it's so a very focused on, on, on not just bringing it all together into more holistic capabilities, but tailoring a journey, which is the hard part to the client and their business priorities. Yeah, and as you described that, going from mines to pharmaceutical companies and lots of places in between, uh, everybody's going there, and uh, it, it's just such an exciting time now. And Larry, thank you very much for uh, making the time here to share with us some of the high-level views of what Accenture's doing. This has been really helpful. Uh, great to talk with you. Likewise, Bob. Enjoyed the conversation and hope to have more. Thanks, Larry. And thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. This has been Accenture's overview of what their cloud strategy and digital strategy and overall business strategy is like here as part of the cloud wars top 10 executive insights larry thanks a lot and thanks to all of you hope to see you next time